LSG Media presents a Game of Thrones podcast. Welcome back to the Game of Thrones podcast by LSG Media. I am your host, Dean, and I am joined by Jessica. And today we're talking about Game of Thrones, Episode 8, Season 6, titled No One. No One. Jessica. Yeah. This episode, I'm coming out of the gates hot. I'm just warning you. This episode is not loved. Oh, I know. Don't worry. I have plenty to say. It is not loved even a little. And uh, I'm very curious as to uh, what you think about it. I know that we watched it together. I know that you weren't high on it when we watched together. And I'm really curious as to how you're going to feel when we, uh, when we get into this thing. So why don't we do this? Why don't we tell people what, we, uh, what to expect if this is their first time popping in? And, uh, and that's this. We're going to start with some opening thoughts. We will then explicate our way through the episode. We will get to some listener comments. We will update our Deadpool, which we will explain at the time. And then we will close out with some final thoughts and predictions and some where do we see the series going, if anything, like that. So, Jessica. Yes. I want to hear what you have to say about no one. Overall thoughts. Now, I know that, let me, let me, let me wrangle you a little bit, because you can sometimes be like a wide-eyed stallion, except the female version. A, a wild Mustang running in the, in the, in the trees. In, in uh, the trees? In the, in the green fields. What kind of Mustang am I? I don't know. And I want to know, I know that you're not fond of it. So let me ask you right off the bat, what is your, what's the best part of this week's episode? The Hound. What's the worst part? The the worst part is the fucking time spent in Marine. But the worst part really is fucking a year of this bullshit with Arya. I can't even speak. She's so angry. Culminating in this moment. (laughs) The moment was great, but everything surrounding it was very, very bad. She's so angry that the devil lives in her tongue and it tangled it all up. Whoa. Sorry, watch sorry. Your, watch, watch out with your big Caitlyn Jenner hands around the mic over there. <laughs> Just kidding. You don't have Caitlyn Jenner hands. I do have big hands. So it's really weird. <clears throat> Not really. Well, whatever. I have fat fingers. So let us... Okay. Can I give my opinion? All right. My you, opening you thoughts? Me, you gave me the worst. You gave me the best. Now, give me your opinion and try, if you can, to be as objective as possible, which I know is impossible. Okay. Anyone who knows me, maybe via this podcast, but people I know in real life, I'm known as a Game of Thrones apologist. For the past three weeks, I've gone into work on Monday and talked to my Game of Thrones watching friends. I've said, what did you think about Game of Thrones? And they all went, it was so boring. Not the past two weeks leading up to this episode. And I said, yeah, it was a lot of setup, but that's because there's a lot of great stuff that's going to happen and it's fine. You know, the Worst episode of Game of Thrones is still better than everything else on TV. I still stand by that statement. I still think the worst episode of Game of Thrones is better than everything else on TV. Okay. But here's my problem. Okay. For two weeks, I sat and I said, it's set up for something better. Don't worry. The payoff is coming. It's coming. These are just our setup episodes in the middle of the season. We're really going to get there. There's a lot of stuff they got to do in these last three episodes. And then this episode happens. And again, literally nothing happens. And the stuff that happens aggravated me, which we'll get into when we get into it. But if I, the biggest Game of Thrones apologist of all time, has negative feelings. Okay. Well, that's how I am anyways with casuals. Allow me to retort. I think that you 
are sometimes a Game of Thrones apologist, but I think you can be tough on the show, and I mean that in a positive way. Right. I think that, first of all, forget about what the masses think of the show, the idiots who don't watch it more than once. I, I know. Who, if you ask them to name four characters, probably would be unable to. No, I hate those people. Don't even get me started. When somebody calls somebody... That- don't get me started. There are a few people at work who understand. And I even said to one girl I work with today, I hate people who pretend they like Game of Thrones because it's cool. And mm. She said, I know. And yeah. she became my best friend. Can I say something about that? You know what I hate even worse? People who actively rebel against it. Yeah. Uh, that th- Those are the worst people on social media of all time. They're the ones who are like, I don't even care about the Super Bowl. Ugh. I hate those people. When people post about the Super Bowl, I'm like, oh, I get it. You're so fucking cool. And then somebody's like, fuck Game of Thrones. I don't even know what this show is. Dumb. Fuck dragons. Ugh. Just to fucking start a flame I, war. That's their whole point. I have it's a friend worst. who has great taste in things. We like a lot of similar things. And she's always asking me TV shows to watch. And I'm like, keep telling her Game of Thrones. And she says she will not watch Game of Thrones until there is an equal amount of male nudity and female nudity. There you go. So she's on a sex of, sexism platform there in regards go. to Game of Thrones and will yeah. not watch it because of that. Right. Which is silly. She's missing out on a good show. Yeah, hold on. I'm going to pause the show because I'm going to go on Facebook and rebel against whatever's popular. Give me a second. I think it's Hamilton right now. <laughs> so. Fuck Hamilton. Oh my God. Uh, why are they put minorities in these roles? Uh, I'm in my basement. <laughs> why is Thomas Jefferson black? <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. So here's my overall thoughts on this week's episode. Here they are. I like the stuff with Jamie. I loathe the stuff with Arya. I like the stuff with the Hound. I loathe the stuff with Marine. I, is that all we got? I like the stuff with King's Landing just because it's intriguing. It just gives me more reason to be annoyed by the High Sparrow and his little puppet old rubber lips. So I'm looking forward to talking about all of that. And that will be fun. So let's do this. Let's just say that the hound coming back was great timing. Mm-hmm. If the hound was not back, this episode would have been brutal. Agreed. Uh, it would have been like, all right, cool. Some stuff going on with Jamie, which I appreciate. I know I know a lot of people don't like the Jamie thing. Ooh, I'm glad we disagree on the Jamie stuff because it's going to be fun. Yeah, I definitely I definitely enjoyed that. I like, I like some of the implications of that scene, but the hound... It was good to see the Hound. I was very happy to see Thoros of Mir, as well as Beric Dondarrion. Me too. Uh, that was awesome. I really want to talk about the Brotherhood Without Banners. Faith restored, by the way. When I thought that they turned to evil, I was concerned about how that was going to turn out. But no, they have, uh, they uh, they hanged some of their members. That were, that's, that's fun to talk about. So uh, why don't we do this? You said you want to start where again? We're just going to start in King's Landing. We're just going to do it. Go right there. All right. So Cersei is informed by the Faith Militant members, is informed that the Faith Militant demand to see her. Oh, rubber lips is currently a prayer. And um, Lancel tells Cersei that her presence is required. And she says, I don't want to go. And he says, it's not a request. And she says, it is, essentially. Do you know what I say here? What? Yay, Lancel's going to die. Finally, so on my Deadpool. I'm so excited. No. Uh, She did say, I choose violence, which is a very good line. And then we get a little mix-up here with the, the mountain that rides, or the Franken Mountain, or uh, Sir Robert Strong. After Lancel takes a step back to let somebody else take that death blow, which is very unfair to me. He honestly. still has those really good Lannister instincts for survival, so I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah, F you, Lancel. I can't wait till you freaking die at some point. Not next week, because we all know that. We're not going to see him next week. Uh, then we see a barehanded decapitation. And a couple of things. 
so this whole meeting goes down, okay? And I don't know what to say about all this, except, of course, this display by Frankenmountain, this display of sheer power, sheer unadulterated power, the ability to rend a man, a man's head from his body with one hand is outrageously powerful. So that's the first thing I want to talk about, because I'm guessing, I'm trying to imagine how the High Sparrow and Tommen are sitting down praying and shit, doing whatever they do, lighting candles, praying to the seven. And then a Lance Lannister runs in, <sighs> out of breath, and he's like, my lords, oh, I just saw the Franken Mountain in action. Oh, we must do something about this trial by combat. And then, of course, the High Sparrow starts pouring through his notes about how he can get this fucking thing vetoed by the king because mm-hmm. he knows they can't beat this guy. That's what I was going to say. I think this was the catalyst to get rid of trial by combat. Right. Like seeing him in action specifically by the faith militant and how easily he could kill somebody. I really think that that was probably the catalyst that really got that moved. Right. Got that emotion. Yeah, I think so. And I think that was the point of showing that engagement. But uh, yeah, that guy steps up, takes a swing at his tank armor and uh, gets killed. And then I got to say something. I think that Oberyn Martell, Oberyn Martell, Jesus, I'm, I'm distracted by the chat, which reminds me, we're recording this live on Mixler, mixler.com slash LSG dash media, mixler.com slash LSG dash media, where we have a chat room going. And you can get a schedule for the upcoming live shows for all podcasts by going to schedule.libertystreetgeek.net. That's schedule.libertystreetgeek.net. What I was trying to say, not about Oberyn Martell, I'm saying Kyburn's loyalty impresses me. It's no, there's no, he, he is not on a winning side right now. Mm-hmm. Cersei has nobody. She doesn't even have her own family outside of Jamie, but Jamie doesn't really have any power. Kevin rules Casterly Rock. Kevin runs the Lannisters. And there's no, I, I, I don't see, Kyburn's loyalty to Cersei is impressive. I'm shocked that he hasn't turned coat yet. Maybe because of his own, maybe his loyalty is simply that war finds strange bedfellows. He's an outcast. He was kicked out of the Citadel. Maybe that's why, maybe he has no place to go. It's possible that he is sticking around because he has nowhere to turn and he knows that Cersei's his last ally. It could just be these two find each other in their loneliness, in their outcasts, and uh, they are hanging out with this mountain guy because he can protect them physically anyway. So yeah, it's um, it's crazy to think about before Olena Tyrell left, she said, you have no friends left. You're surrounded by enemies, thousands of them. And it's very clear here in this scene really cements that for Cersei. Yeah, and for sure. I'll tell you, getting rid of the trial of com- by, by the trial by combat, that's such a disgusting move because they've used it forever. And even though they said it's, oh, it's barbaric and it's a way to get by justice, the reality is, is it exists because no no fighter under the eyes of the gods can lose. That's that's the way they've always believed it. The reason trial by combat exists is because of the religion, the seven, because of the faith of the seven. Not because they thought it was going to be a logical way to conclude a legal matter. They did it because it has religious implications, and now they're going back on that. So, in my opinion, this is the first really big move by the High Sparrow through Tommen that he really contradicts that which he has been preaching, in my opinion. 
Like, I know he's been preaching this and preaching that, and he seems like he's staying solid to his word, even though we have always known he's got ulterior motives. He's now the high septon of King's Landing. But this is the first moment where we see him do a reform purely for political reasons. And this is the first time we've seen this action by the High Sparrow. That's such a big moment where him being obviously influencing Tommen to make this decision. I'm sure he did it in his roundabout, shoeless, dirty feet way. And I'm sure that Marjorie had a big part in this. Right. Although, and again, I think this goes back to the things with Marjorie that I said earlier, where before she was so, you know, team Loris and had to help Loris. And I think that moment where she saw him in that dungeon and saw how weak she was, she was like, okay, I'll let him go if I have to. Right. And I think that that's what we're seeing here continuing. I think that Marjorie is ready to cut ties with Loris because he's bringing her down, basically. Yana Stark in the chat says, why is Tommy doing that? He knows they will kill his mom. We really need to talk about that because it's 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 true. Tommy knows that these seven septons are not going to find Cersei innocent. Are they going to sense her to death? What else would it be at this point? Yeah, that's true. Why would They're you have a trial penalty. by comp? Yeah, I guess. I don't know where else she like would to go. Kill people. I don't I, unless they make her become a fucking sister. Could you imagine oh that? Oh my god. And Jamie will kill everybody in King's Landing because he'll do anything for Cersei. I don't know if he's going to get that. I don't. I don't know if if that's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to get that opportunity. And David Earl says he disagree. He completely disagrees with your take on Marjorie. Yeah, I, I could be totally wrong, and it could be the total opposite way. But that's what I'm going with for yeah. now. And you're saying you think that maybe she was putting some pressure on him to make that happen? Oh, I definitely think that. Yeah. Why not? Why I don't. I don't. Oh, that she, if she's on. Yeah, he's saying what I said about Loras. That she's ready to be done with Loras because... Oh, oh, okay, okay. He's weak and bringing her down. I could be wrong, but... Yeah, maybe. I, I said it a few episodes ago, so I feel like I might as well stick with it since I changed my mind every single episode, basically, about everything. Yeah, I could see... I think I think Marjorie's in a pickle because uh, on the one hand, you have, okay, if I get rid of the trial by combat, that means I'm getting rid of it for Cersei as well as my brother. However, if we do a trial by combat, Frankenmountain wins. So if we do a trial by combat, the the the, the proceedings are over. Nobody mm-hmm. defeats him. There's nobody in King's Landing. There's nobody in Westeros. Maybe the Hound, but I don't know. He's fucking undead. I don't think anyone can beat this guy. So what happens now is that you're essentially giving up. And by doing that, by Marjorie, by Marjorie not pushing that agenda, she knows that Cersei wins, right? If if she lets trial by combat happen, right? Yeah, Loras could possibly win depending on his champion. Who knows? Because they're being, could be they're his being, own champion if he wasn't being such a bitch in right, his dungeon hole. Right, because they're being tried independently of each other. They're going to be different trials on the same day. So I guess they greased day up the, the mother. They, they greased up the old uh, machinery of that trial system. Festival of the mother. Yeah, I think they moved the trials forward too. I don't think the trials had a date, and that was part of the yeah. thing too. And Cersei didn't even get a heads up. Like she was betrayed by her son. She's definitely going to kill Tommen. She's going to kill everybody. I can't wait. They're all going to die. Everyone. Is it possible that Marjorie's gotten to a place where she said, "All right, if I can." If I can, as well as the High Sparrow, influence the king to veto the trial by combat, I lose a brother, but I also get rid of Cersei, and now I cement my place where I need to cement my place. Because Loras is lost. I mean, I know that sounds really harsh and cold, and I don't know if Marjorie's capable of sacrificing Loras to smite her enemies, but if the trial by combat goes forward, you know Cersei's not going anywhere. And Loras might have a chance, so it's it's a, it's interesting. It could have just been the High Sparrow, and you know, I I, I want to see Marjorie's reaction. I know at the least the High Sparrow influenced Tommen to make that decision. Yeah, 
and uh, it's going to have it's, it's going to be it's going to cause an issue. And when they hold this little court, and Kevin's very rude to Cersei, yeah, and, he hates uh, her. Oh my god! You go stand in the gallery with the other ladies, other of women, the, court, the lo- ladies of the court. No one wants to stand next to her in the Franken Mountain. That's for sure. Right now, what I'm what I'm curious about here is King Tommen exits the throne room after his decision, and he's walking away. And Cersei watches him with her eyes welling up with tears. And part of me thinks that she might be saying goodbye to him forever in her mind. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this? I think, does she think that she'll ever have influence over him ever? Does she, fi- does she think her son is lost at this point? I wonder about that. I don't know. She's such a, her kids are so important to her. It's very true. Everything, um, everything that Jamie said about her later in the episode, how she would fiercely protect her children. But if her children moves away from her and there's nothing she can do and he's going against her, what does she do? There's stuff in the chat that I'm really liking. There's okay. a lot of talk about what's actually going on, what Cersei's going to do, and what's going to happen in King's Landing going forward. Um, as far as, I guess we can start by talking about the conversation between Cersei and Kyburn after sure. um, Tommen goes his way, which is that um, he looked into something Cersei had asked about, and it's more than a rumor, much more. So what is it? The wildfire under the city. I agree. Yeah, I think we've seen that in the hallucinations, or should I say, the visions from Bran. The but those green. are past visions. He doesn't see into the future. We don't. We're not positive about that, though. We don't know that for certain, because we do know people with green seeing can see past, present, and future. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they can see all three. Well, I think that. I mean, even if it's not that he's seeing the future, I think they're certainly showing us that to remind us of it that mm. it exists that's been used before. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. I I wonder about. I wonder about how this is going to go down. I think that Cersei is too m- much of a major character for her to be rescued summarily by Jamie at this point. I think okay. Cersei is going to take matters into her own hands and try to get herself whatever she needs. And that's the only thing I can think of. But there's so many ramifications here. You can't just blow up King's Landing or you can't... If she, if she doesn't... If she escapes King's Landing, let's say she escapes King's Landing, and people in in and does no damage. In other words, she doesn't shoot her way out of town. She's now a renegade from the crown. She can't hide at Cashley Rock because Kevin's loyal to the crown, and he and his men will give her up. So where the fuck does she go? That's the thing. I think that she might. This idea that she burns down all of King's Landing and we lose everybody. Maybe where she's thinking. But what people are saying in the chat, which I did not think about, and I think it would be fascinating if this is the route the show took, was. What if Jamie gets back and he finds out what Cersei's going to do and he kills Cersei? Mm. Wouldn't that be fucking tragic and also amazing and also make us like Jamie again? I think so, but I think it's I, I don't think it's within Jamie's character arc to kill her only because of what he just told Edmund Tully. Okay, I mean he's willing to, and we're going to get to that. But I, I just don't see Jamie making. Then that I decision. think King's Landing's going to burn and we're going to kill everybody. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, it's possible. And, and the Westeros doesn't fall without King's Landing, Cersei, just to make sure you guys are aware of that. They've, uh, Dragonstone used to be the, where the capital was, or Storm's End or whatever, one of the two. And then it was moved to King's Landing, I think, by the, uh, by the um, Christ, by one of the Targaryens. So I think we're going to see King's Landing go down in flames. Not next week, but in the finale finale. Yeah, I, I think, think we might lose a lot of people. Yeah, I think so. I don't know, but I don't see Cer. I think if Cersei... What what's really Shakespearean to me is if Cersei realizes that she has no way to go, no place to go. 
We know that, at least I think in the book, and I think she mentions it too, when King's Landing is attacked by Stannis at the Battle of the Blackwater, that she was willing to poison herself and Mm -hmm. her son rather than be taken by enemies. And that's only because she still felt her son this connection. I think if Cersei gets to a point where she finds Tommen lost, if there's no way for her to get rid of the High Septon and the faith in this whole new thing, it might be too late for that. I think even if Cersei gets rid of the High Sparrow now, the faith endures. I, I, I think it's too late. And I think the only answer is radical explosions. We saw Cersei <laughs> sit with Tommen, correct? It was Tommen that she was going to poison. Was it not? Or, or, or Joffrey. Or was it Joffrey Maybe at the Tommen. time? I don't recall, but yeah. The chat can tell us. They'll let us know who she was going to poison. But she was certainly willing to do it, ready and willing to kill her child for what she felt was a greater good. Better to be dead than be in a circumstance where they were not in power. Right. And maybe she's getting to that point again where she's like, I'm just going to blow this shit up. Right. Yeah, it's possible. It was Tommen. I think that's what David Earl is. I I think what happens. Thank you, chap. I think what happens in this situation is if Cersei has nowhere left to turn, if she doesn't kill herself, she'll try to kill everybody else. Maybe she'll do both. Who knows? I I thought that Cersei was someone who we were not going to lose. And I'm starting to see a storyline where we, we could kill Cersei. Yeah. I think it really propels Jamie's character forward if we lose Cersei. Yep, I agree. Certainly more so than the other way around. It it it, it definitely it it makes the motivations of Jamie more interesting if if Cersei's out of the picture. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I got plenty to say about that. So it's tough to say where this is gonna go, but the notable things for this opening with King's Landing is definitely the reform to the trial by combat, which is a real sneaky political move to ensure the victory that you want to ensure. Because the, the hypocrisy of Tommen to say that, oh, it's barbaric, it's not accurate. Okay, in Seven Septons, who already hate Cersei based on the way they're going to be coached by everyone else, you're being, you're being judged for crimes against the crown by people who represent the crown or, 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 the, or the faith. Like the faith is employing the jury that's going to decide. <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, that's, that's terrible justice and... I mean, I'm not saying tribal combat's any better, but it's not going to go well for Cersei. And I'm not saying she's innocent. She certainly got some crimes, but I can't stand this high sparrow and all this bullshit he has going on. And I'm glad that he's finally made a political decision that he could not hide with any type of scripture. Mm-hmm. That makes me happy. So there you go. We'll see what the little birds have said. Uh, I'm curious about that. That'll be... Um Again, this is why I feel like this episode was so... I feel like there's so much shit that needs to happen before the end of the season. And based on the previews for next week, I don't think we're going to see any of it until episode 10. I like it. I don't think we're going to see anybody we saw in this episode next week. All right. Let's get over to River Run. Speaking of those incestuous lovers. All right. I'll set the stage a little here. So Pod and Brienne arrive. Looks like a siege, my lady. No shit, Pod. You have a keen military mind, Pod. And uh, of course, we get a re... uh, the riders approach. They escort Pod and Brienne into the camp. We have Bronn and Pod reunited. They say some funny things. Uh, they talk about why can an old fucker sneak up on me and murder you? Uh, do you think they're fucking in there? I'd fucker. I hate the way people look at uh, Jamie. It's frankly irritating, et cetera, et cetera. I love this conversation when they talk about Jamie and Brienne having sex and like the way women look at Jamie. I think it's very meta and I think it's really like Bronn speaking for the audience. Because let's be, I don't know how the book portrays Brian and Jamie, if people thought there was like a sexual thing there or not, but we all know TV watchers felt that way. And, you know, 
there are a lot of people who like really ship Jamie and Brienne and whatever. And I really liked Braun as like the voice of the people. Like, yeah, they're having sex. They'd have sex. And he's like, I hate the way they look at him. He's so handsome. It was just so like right. meta to me. And and he was so much like the voice of the viewer that I, I just love it. I like when a show can do that and it it works. Right, right. It's funny that it's funny that we have this thing about, oh, Brienne and Jamie. You know, if it is not clear that Jamie loves Cersei, I don't know what else to do to convince people that even though there is a connection, it when I look when I look at Jamie's facial expressions, when I look beyond his eyes, one of the things I think of him is this. I think that in his mind he thinks, boy, in another time and place, but that is not that's not in our fate, you know? And I think it's mature to say something like that. Because I think he knows I love Cersei. I'm going to do anything for Cersei. He makes that clear. And he says it a lot. And he has these looks. He shares these looks with Brienne that have people kind of on the edge of their seats. Like, oh, they're going to kiss or whatever. But and maybe. But I think that maybe that's something that can be explored at a later date. But I think that they're too, they have a lot of respect for each other. They have a connection that's unique uh, because of the experiences that they shared. And uh, I think that's kind of where it, where it is. I think there's this big respect. Maybe Brienne's into him a little bit more. Maybe that's Bron prompting us. But I'm not. What do you think about that? I think that and they're very cute, and I like their relationship, and and I find it very lovely and um, refreshing to to see Jamie with her. I, I really do. I love their interactions with one another. I don't think that nothing would ever work for them as a couple. Obviously, I want her to hook up with Torment. Obviously, but yeah. The, the thing is, is I, I do think that in, in some way there is some type of romantic tension between them. I think so, too. And that doesn't mean they'll ever act on it because I don't think they will. But I definitely think that it's there. And I think that that is realistic that a man and a woman who went through a, a near death experience together build up that tension that is still there when they see each other. And yes, they respect each other and admire each other and they have a relationship in that manner. But I, but I definitely think that there is a sexual romantic tension, but I don't think anything will ever come of it. I agree. I agree with you on that. I'm not sure if nothing will ever come of it, but that w- it would seem almost silly at this point. She's in the Jorah zone, David Earl says. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jorah. So they talk about a few things. They talk about Sansa briefly. Ugh. Bran tells Cersei of Sansa's intent to be Lady of Winterfell. Jamie ponders with what army and she says, with the Tully army, and he says, hmm, they seem to be occupied at the moment. Can I just say one thing? Even please. though we're not talking about the Deadpool now, and this is totally out of nowhere, but or not out of nowhere, but please look on our Game of Thrones page at the Week 8 leaderboard for the Deadpool, where nobody died. Um, there's a nice little gif photo made by John Marginson about Sansa being in Jamie Lannister's Deadpool, and how he's upset that she's not dead. Is that Thrones... Um, I, I just looked at it right directly on the Facebook oh, okay. page. I'll gotcha. just post a link right in here so you can all look at it and laugh. It's thronesdeadpool.libertystreetgeek.net if you want to see it if you don't have Facebook. Yeah. Anyways, it was cute and it made me laugh because that's how I feel every day. Why there don't these go, people man. die? I get you, Jamie. Anyways, um, I like that Brienne tells Jamie exactly what she needs even though they're on opposing sides and is willing to be completely honest with him. Yeah. She trusts him. She really does. And he trusts her. It, it's very interesting. I love the politics that they do discuss briefly before Jamie says, let's not talk politics. Obviously, Jamie has no interest in politics. He doesn't really care. And that's, at the end of the day, that's what all of this comes down to. And that's this. 
You're either loyal to the crown or you're not loyal to the crown. When the, when the War of Five Kings was going on, King Rob declared himself King Rob of the North. And he got murdered at the Red Wedding along with most of his army. And after that, Riverrun was lost to the phrase, who ended up getting it back. But the thing here is, is that Riverrun is the ancestral home of the Tullys, and they just want their home back, so they took it back. Now Jamie's there with a Lannister army, and the Lannisters have nothing to do with the Freys and what they have going on with the Tullys, but the Lannisters are loyal to the crown, and they've been ordered by the crown to retake this land because House Frey is loyal to the crown, which is funny, you know, because there comes a point where you're the Tullys where you have to say, all right, the Freys have dipped their banners to the crown along with the Lannisters. We haven't yet. It's getting to a point where they're going to have to. They're going to have to come into the fold. They're going to have to say enough is enough, and that's that. Or they're not. They're lucky that this went the way it did and that they're able to march north, which I'm assuming is still true. I mean, Lannister treachery is a reality, so who knows if they make it. But if these Tullys march north, that's very good for Sansa and I don't know if, but the Blackfish was going to march north with them because of the fact that Brienne wanted that to happen. But Brienne is gone and the Blackfish is supposedly dead. So are they actually even going to march north? They don't have anywhere else to go. I guess that's Unless true. they just disperse and return to their homes, which I guess is possible. I mean, if there's nothing in it for them, it's possible that Edmer Tully doesn't march north. It's possible that Edmer Tully... Edmer this- Tully is going to go to Casterly Rock with his wife and his baby, like Jamie Lannister promised, like a little bitch. I don't think he's going to go to Cashley Rock. I think I think Edmer Tully is going to bend the knee to the crown because that's essentially what he does by giving up his home. And we have to understand something too here. The deal was the Blackfish surrenders and they'll let them march north. That didn't happen. They had right. to go about it a totally different way. So I think all deals are off. And I think that's why Bran was escaping on a boat. I think that's why there's something extra in the fact that Jamie let her go. So and are you suggesting the Tullys get slaughtered? Or they're prisoners. I mean, I, I don't think that they're going to... Right. Maybe, but Edmer Tully runs that show and they're loyal to him. He he walked up to that gate and said, lower the fucking gate. They came out and he... And, and now he gave the castle to the Lannisters. I could see... I could see where they might... He might say they might be essentially bending the knee of the crown. I'm not saying they're not going to get punished for it, but the person who precipitated that was the Blackfish who is supposedly dead. So if he's dead and gone... These soldiers are just doing what any soldier would do. I don't see them just outwardly being all slaughtered or imprisoned. I don't see that benefiting the crown. I see them saying, return to your home. Tully's are now part of the crown, just like everybody else is. Stop fucking around. And uh, that's that. So I guess we'll see how that plays out. The politics of that is pretty interesting, though. But let, let's, I know we, we jumped ahead on that, but let's talk about some of this stuff. Lan- Jamie, when he says, I'm a Lannister, don't ask me to but betray my house, and Brienne says, I would do no such thing. Mm-hmm. It's funny, isn't it? That Brienne understands the honor that is at stake for somebody like Jamie to betray his own house. They, isn't that cool? They both did because Jamie Lannister gave Brienne a sword to go protect Sansa, his sworn enemy. Right, because he swore an oath to Catelyn. They have, there's an understanding between them that is so unlike anybody else's relationship in this show right. where it's made clear that they're on opposing sides. Brienne says to him, you know, honor is going to compel me to fight for Sansa's kin. We're going to have to fight against each other. Jamie's like, I yeah. hope it doesn't come to that. But they know, just like I said, however long ago that this was going to happen, they were going to be at odds. It didn't come to that. But when Bran was escaping on that boat, 
It was in every right of Jamie and the Lannister army to take her and kill her. Of course. course. She was a friend of the enemy and he let her go. Right. Of course. Yeah. She's absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. He could have and nobody would have batted an eyelash. But it's funny that there is, I just think it's interesting that I think the audience can sit and say, okay, if I'm going to make an ethical or moral judgment here, even though it's hard to do, you might say the Lannisters are kind of in the wrong. They're taking an ancestral home from somebody who's had it forever. Oh, we always think the Lannisters are wrong. And even, so entertain me for a minute if you think that's the case. Now you have Brienne who decides to tell Jamie, no, I don't want you to betray your house because that is the higher priority in her mind on the ethical fucking ladder. Betraying your house, whether your house is right or wrong, is worse than being right or wrong to her. It's almost like the way Ned Stark looked at Jamie for killing Ares Targaryen. He was a fucking evil, crazy person, burning people alive, including Ed's father and brother, but he still thought of him as dishonorable for killing the king in his back. And that's, that, that reminds me of the way Brienne carries herself. With this honor above all, there's this hierarchy of, of ethics with her that fascinate the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Jamie, that doesn't, it's not the case. He's less interested in that, even though he has at times given his word and kept it like he did with Catelyn Stark. Yeah. It's awesome. So, so much anyway, Catelyn Stark this episode. I, I said the same She's thing. very popular for a dead person. Yeah, I, I thought the same. I thought, thought the same thing. So we hard cut to Brienne trying to convince Brendan. It's not, it doesn't work. Very uninterested. Although the, he mentions Catelyn too. The Blackfish doesn't trust Jamie. Duh. <laughs> yeah, smart, smart Blackfish. But Brienne reminds him that Jamie kept his word to Catelyn regarding Sansa Stark. The Blackfish, oh, Gene, I'm going to kill you. Blackfish seems moved by the letter, but not enough to abandon his castle. And uh, I like that a lot. You know, he says, oh, she's just like her mother. And then later that night, of course, Jamie and Edmure chat. Let's talk about this discussion because I like this a lot. First, I like the sad moment where Brienne tells Pod to send a raven. Uh, He's like, what yeah. should it say? And she says that I failed. You didn't fail, Brienne. You did the best you could. And honestly, you're... Right. You, Sansa and John ain't doing so well themselves going around to fucking castles and asking 12 year olds for help. So you did good work. We're proud right. of you. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> this is pretty crazy to think about because I love the moral stuff going on in this discussion. So Jamie and Edmer chat, Jamie starts telling Edmer how he'll be taken care of. Uh, you should be an iron. You should not be in irons. You should be fed and bathed and blah, 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 blah. And that's when uh, Edmer demands, he, he tells him, Hey, you're an asshole. Yeah, do you do you can you tell yourself at night that you're a good person? Like what how do you live? And Jamie, like he always does, says, I don't know. That's not my responsibility. I just know what I'm trying to do here, which he says it comes down to his love of Cersei that he says. And it's funny because Ugh. it's Sorry, funny because rough. people want to judge Jamie for saying this, that he's doing all this. He's like, I'll kill every fucking Tully. I don't care. Go fuck yourself. I will burn the world to get back to her. So it doesn't matter what you say. And that's when he turns on Edmer after, the, after they're trying to be pleasant. And Edmer's like, don't talk about Catelyn. Don't say anything. Blah, 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 blah. It comes to this whole you love your children thing. So Jamie's setting him up. And I like how Jamie has a little Tyrion in him to play this manipulation pretty well here. And Edmer makes a decision. So Jamie says, I'm doing this all for Cersei. Edmer makes a decision that he's going to surrender the castle. Yeah, so his baby doesn't get catapulted, as Jon Stark in the chat wants to remind us. Right, fine. And, and we're all... And, <laughs> so the funny thing about the situation is, is that he makes a decision for one or two people, and Jamie makes a decision for one of two people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they're both making decisions, thinking about 
the very personal attachment they have to one or two people versus all of the people involved, which of course makes sense. That's what most humans would do, right? Sure. I just like this because I think this is a good, I, I like the way this happens in this scene because it starts with Jamie saying, I'll kill everybody to get to, to get to what I need to get done. I'm just letting you know. And then Edmer essentially does that, but not killing them. He goes, all right, I'll give everybody up if I just get my wife and kid back. So it's, he gave up the blackfish. And he gives up his fucking uncle. He's going to let his uncle go off and get executed. But I mean, then forget. again, the blackfish was going to let him have his throat slit. So right. <laughs> what can we say? Right. So it's complicated shit. And that's what I like about it. But by the end of this, we have Brienne and Pod taking off. We have... Can I, before we get to the end of the scene, I just want to comment on Jamie Lannister as a character and my problems oh, yeah, with let's, this. Let's because do this. I know that you like this and you're... And I love this scene between him and Edmer because the guy who plays Edmer Tully is a great actor. Yeah, he awesome. did a great, great job. And we see nothing of him and that's unfortunate because he was great. Yeah, he... Um, before, you, before you go forward, yes. check him out in... Uh, if you have HBO Go, you probably do if you are watching the show. Check him out in Rome which I call the precursor to Game of Thrones. He plays Brutus. Yeah, a lot of and people. Because he's, he's great in that. What's his face? Is it Mance Raiders in Rome too? Yes, he is. He so, plays Caesar. So is Dr. Owen Hunt from Grey's Anatomy, if I don't care about that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Anyways, back to the TV show at hand. So here's my problem with everything about everything. Jamie Lannister went from being a character that was super hated, one track mind, would push a little boy out of a window so he could bang his sister, right? To somebody who was taken prisoner by Catelyn, we still hate him. He goes on this journey with Brienne. We see this human side of him that Brienne brings out. We start to like him. He comes back. He loves Cersei, blah, blah, all this crap. He lets Tyrion escape. He's willing to do this. We're seeing all these different sides of Jaime that are beyond Cersei. And I feel like this season, all we've gotten of Jaime is, I love Cersei. I will do anything for Cersei. And I feel like he's become this one-dimensional, unlikable character who is totally regressed to how he was in season one. Right. I am so not into Jamie at all. I There's nothing about him saying, I will slaughter every Tully to get back to Cersei if that's what I have to do. That's lovely and all. But that is the most one-dimensional, boring thing in the world. Yeah. And I know we're going to argue that there was more dimension to him because he lets Brienne go despite the fact that they're at odds. And fine, that is there. But this undying loyalty to Cersei, literally my life is to, to to appease Cersei, to do what she wants. She sends me somewhere. I do it. I, I'll kill everybody to do what she wants. I don't like it. Like, I feel like we're really not getting this fully fleshed out Jamie that we had before. Right. And that bothers me. I. It's funny because he he's always been that way. It, you know, you, you started that by saying he pushes a kid out a window, right? Yeah. He's still pushing kids out windows. Yeah. He's still the same guy he was in a sense. Now he's grown a lot, but the core of Jamie, the core of the character is, is I love Cersei. The things I do for love shove is exactly what he says to Bran before mm -hmm. he shoves him out of that tower. And he has grown. We have seen extra layers to Jamie. We have seen more from Jamie. And now we see him in a situation where, and, and I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate, even though I do agree with a lot with what you said. Are you done or do you want me to go? I just wanted to make one comment. I don't know if this is true or not. Um, and you can tell me or another book reader can tell me, but somebody I work with said that in the books, it's the total opposite. Like Jamie goes to Reverend because he wants to get away from Cersei. Right. Not because Cersei sends him there because he loves her so much. So I don't know if that's true or not, but someone tell me if it is because I don't know. But now you may talk. Right. Go ahead, sir. So 
One of the things we know about Jamie is, is that outside of Cersei, he doesn't really have much ambition. He never really has. He was, Jamie's identity was tied to him being a knight and a great fighter. When you lose, when you fight with whatever your hand is until he was, what, 40? And then you lose your hand and you have to work on your other hand, you're just not going to be as legendary as a fighter as you once were. I think a lot of Jamie's identity was tied up in his martial capability, but he's never been motivated to want to leave Cersei to start a family. It's, it's like that friend you have that just can't get rid of that annoying girlfriend. You're like, fuck. Or that annoying boyfriend. You're like, oh, God, get I have rid of this fucking yep. slob already. He's holding you back or she's holding you back. But I think with Jamie, one of the things that I still like about the guy is, is that he is a, he's somebody who doesn't care as much about all of this honor stuff that is wrapped up with all these other characters. He, he, that's less important to him. And I like the fact that he goes to Riveron. Here's what I like. Or, 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 or here, to think about his perspective for a second. So he loses his hand. He loses his potence, in a sense, for what he's going to be. He loses his father. His brother runs away. His family's not high on him. His sister's writing checks that his body's going to have to cash, getting him in trouble, right? And now you have a situation where you are kicked out of the Kingsguard because you like that position because you could protect your fucking son. So he gets booted from the King's Guard. He has to leave King's Landing. He can no longer protect his son. And two, he's lost his son. His son is the guy who kicked him out of the King's Guard. So, and that's because he rode up the stairs on a on, on his horse and confronted the Faith Militant. And that was taken as an affront to the crown. So in that sense, he loses his son. He watched his daughter die in a boat. He just lost his son for all intents and purposes. And now his lady, Cersei, is essentially awaiting trial for her life. He's running out of options, this guy. And I think he sees what's coming on the horizon, which could mean Cersei's gone and he doesn't want that to happen. I think part of me thinks that Jamie sees these fleeting moments with Cersei, like it's going to be all over soon. And he wants nothing more than to get back to her at this moment, because I think he sees the writing on the wall as far as it goes with her. Now, I like the way he handles River Run. That's something I like about it. If he didn't say, oh, I, I'm going to give, I also want to do is get back to Cersei. I kind of feel like if he didn't say that, people would not be as hard on him regarding what we already know about him, which is he loves Cersei. I feel like if he didn't say that, people would not be as hard on him about this. But he gets charged with going to Riverrun, taking the castle back. He fucking takes the castle back with guess how many casualties? Maybe three. I thought it was just one. Well, maybe the Blackfish killed one or two. I don't know. He said he pretty much sucked at fighting with a sword. Whatever. My point is, is he gets out of there with maybe three deaths. Maybe there were no deaths. Maybe there were no deaths. Dun, dun, dun. To get back to my point, he takes this castle without engaging in a two-year-long siege, without losing a shitload of Lannister troops, without damaging the very fucking castle they're trying to take back. It's a resounding success. And he does it well. Jamie's value is still high if he can just get his head out of his ass a little bit. He takes one of the hardest places to siege easily. He's there for, what, a week? He sets up his camp. He reinforces those fucking guys. He goes over. He grabs Edmer. He gets this guy. to. Th he threatens him. He hits him. He goes for the low blow, which is fine. His father said it best. What's worse, killing a few dozen people at supper 
or thousands on the field of battle, right? That's him justifying the Red Wedding. Jamie kind of did the same thing here. He got rid of a few people and he took the castle. And I think that that's pretty fucking cool. I like that he was able to do that. It showed competence by Jamie. A more, I think, a less thought-driven man would have just thrown himself at these walls, would have sieged, would have cut off the supply lines, and got into this protracted battle. And who the fuck knows what happens after that? Then you're camped out there for one or two years, and then it's just this nightmare that you have to deal with. Now, I know he's motivated to get back to, to Cersei. I get that. But I'm just saying, he still shows competence to me. It, he's still an interesting character to me. And I feel like if people would just give up on the fact that he says, I would kill everyone to get back to Cersei. If he didn't use that stupid hyperbolic Shakespearean bullshit. He's not punch him in the right. fucking face. I think people would, would let him off the hook a little because of because he really he really shines in this scene. He's great with him and Brienne. He's great with Edmer Tully. He's great at just fucking put up the Lannister and the Frey banners, take down the Tully ones, and uh, that's it. He's a great actor, and as Bronn said, he's pretty good to look at, like super handsome, but my God, he really took a step back in my liking of him this week. Although he had great shit, I just don't like the I gotcha. fucking do or die on Cersei's dime, basically. Yeah, it could be his undoing, sadly. I don't want it to be his undoing. I want it to be Cersei's undoing somehow. Honestly, I just want them to start killing people. I don't even fucking care who dies. I just want people to die. Is this what I've become? Yeah. I just want people to die. <laughs> You're a bloodthirsty Game of Thrones watcher that just wants each character death every week. You're like, I don't even care. Kill like I'm watching again. the freaking Walking Dead. I'm like, start killing people, goddammit. All right. So anything else we want to say about River? And I know Jamie's standing up on the battlements there at the end and he just waves his golden hand. At Brienne. Um, do we want to make any mention to is the Blackfish actually dead or no? I don't know if the Blackfish is dead. My guess is that he is. Um, this and, is uh, what I wrote in my notes. Here's a quick oh. book spoiler. So skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear, but it does involve the Blackfish and that's this. Edmer actually has a redeeming quality and he lets the Blackfish go despite Jamie wanting him, which is pretty cool. So the Blackfish actually apparently escapes in the book. He is he doesn't stand and fight, um, which is too bad. And, and and you know maybe before we move on, maybe we do just talk about Edmer Tully. I mean, do you blame him for what he does? What he's done? Do you? I mean, I mean, he never met his son, and he banged his wife one time. Right. Are so you fucking kidding me? So what's the alternative? Jamie puts you to death and sieges your castle anyway. I mean, he's in a tough spot there. I don't know. I would have I would have given in a long time ago. Here's so I, like. I shouldn't really be very, you know, rude. To him. Well, here's what I like. I like the fact that Ed Murtelli's still alive and I'm hoping something more comes of this guy because I think the actor is good. I agree. What do you have to read? This is what I wrote about the blackfish. The blackfish died fighting apparently. Or did he? Did we see a body? Exclamation question mark. And then I wrote, Okay, he's probably dead. Mm. But that's what I wrote. I think he's dead. I think if he decided to stand and fight, not to mention the guy reports to Jamie that the blackfish is dead. Yeah, but who knows? It could, who knows? If that's, he's, he's dead. Okay, he's, he's dead. dead. Too conspiratorial. But I agree. And somebody says in the chat, and I'd have to go back and look at who said it, but somebody wrote in the chat that it would have been better if we got to a scene where we saw the blackfish run into men and draw his sword and then we cut as opposed to the way we did it. And I agree. I'm glad we didn't see the fight and waste time on it. I don't care about the blackfish fighting people and sucking at it. There's much more important shit to show. We showed enough bullshit in this episode, but I just wish they would have done something a little bit like that. It made yeah. it a little bit more climactic. There are times when I like off screen death and then there are times where it infuriates me and it happens twice in this fucking episode. Off screen death? Yeah, I think we're going to assume the wave bites it when, the, when everything goes black. <gasps> oh my God, I just came up with a totally new theory. 
what if Arya is really dead and that's actually the waif in Arya? Just kidding. That's not really what it would be. But there's somebody online who wrote an article about that. Come on. I know You've there is. You've been fired. All right. So that clears up River Room. You want to talk about Marine? Yeah, let's talk about Marine. All right. <clears throat> I'm bored. Let's move on. All right. Now you want to go to the Hound? <laughs> <laughs> you still love Tyrion. Bored. All right. So we see a couple of things. We see the Lord of Light followers spreading the gospel, which is um, what Tyrion thought was a good idea, and Lord Varys did not. And the two men are walking, and we find out that Varys is leaving. This came out of nowhere. Yeah, he's going to do some type of expedition that's important and dangerous, but we don't know what it is. Westeros. But last week, I didn't think Varys was leaving, but whatever. He's got to go. So we can have this touching scene where Peter Dinklage is an amazing actor, just like he is every day. What do you think about this by Varys? Is this sketchy? I never trust Varys. I don't care who trusts him. I don't there are either. two people I never... Actually, I don't trust anybody in the show. But the two people I trust the least are Varys... And obviously Littlefinger. Thank God you said it. Actually, there's one person that I trust solely with my life. Actually, two. Who? Jorah, obviously. Pretty loyal. And Davos, obviously. They're also handsome, and I would have relations with both of them. Davos is like 74. I don't even care. Okay. (laughs) Pop some of that old fucking Viagra in there and get to work. I hope my dad's not listening to this podcast. So, um, yeah, I think he's older than your dad, so... No, he definitely is. Think about that for just a minute. It's it's fine. So I think Varos is going to Westeros because he says, we're going to need friends in Westeros. Um, We're going to need friends in the Starks. Honestly, man, I don't see... I think Varos is a survivor. I think he's always been a survivor. I think that Varos believes that he serves the realm. I know that he testified against Tyrion. Let's not forget about that. But I think that Varos is... I'm, I'm wondering... He leaves right before the master's attack. I think that's probably coincidence. Oh, I didn't even think about that, but now I'm even more suspicious. He leaves right before the master's attack, which is weird. I know he's originally from Essos, so I don't know if he's got weird loyalties. I don't think so. I think that's I think that's a I think that's a uh, barking up the wrong tree there. I don't know where he plans to go when he gets back to Westeros. His little birds have probably told him, "Oh, by the way, they've instituted the faith of the seven. Essentially, they've entwined it with the crown." And the High Sparrow is essentially the most powerful person in King's Landing right now. He doesn't even have shoes. He doesn't even have shoes, one. And we already know how Varys feels about religious zealotry. He's made it obviously clear by the way the Lord of Light, by the way he handled Kinvara, was that her name, or Kinvana? I don't know what her name was, but these red priestesses. But now he's going to go where? To King's Landing and get right in the mix of this disgusting thing? I don't think he's going to King's Landing. I wonder where he's going. Maybe he's going to see the Greyjoys. They got a lot of ships. Maybe. You don't know what's going on. He probably heard about that handsome new guy who's taken over. He's like, I'll go over there and talk you to would, him. You would think if Varys knows things from his little birds that he would probably know that Yara and Theon stole, you know, hundreds of ships. They're, got, they're headed his way. That's got to get out somehow. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Varys. Bye, he's, Varys. he's sketching me out. Um, he, he makes me nervous, but he's obviously got something up his sleeve that he's not revealing to us. It just seemed to really come out of nowhere this week. So I don't know what's going on with that. Bye, Varys. That seemed, to me, it seemed like the writer's going, oh, wait, we need him over here for this. They're like, oh, yeah. Anyway, Tyrion Dinklage is so good. He's, he's genuinely saddened by Varys' departure. I think, I think it's, I don't know how to say this in like a politically correct way, but Peter Dinklage is such a great actor. And because of the fact that he's a dwarf, 
Little person. A little person, whatever. Again, so I've already been politically incorrect. I'm trying to say something nice. You know, like the lollipop clan there and the you know, boss. Yep, he's, he's an Oompa Loompa. And because of that fact, he's not going to get the movie roles that actors who are far worse than him are going to get. And that really sucks. He might. Like, it really sucks that he's not going to be a romantic lead in a movie unless it's a movie about dwarfs dating people. And that sucks. Not that he should be in a romantic comedy. That sounds terrible. But you know, you know what I mean? He's a great actor and... I what you're trying to say, what you're fumbling around, in, in, <laughs> what you're fumbling around with your hammer is, is you're saying you hope that Peter Dinklage gets the roles he deserves because of his acting chops and that his physical stature doesn't prevent him from getting roles that somebody without his physical stature would have. I'd date him. Okay. A lot of people would. He does fine. And guys. I would date a lot of people on the show. So guys, fine. He does fine. His life is good, yeah. but I want him in more things. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I think I get what you're trying to say. Now, thank you. You want to talk about Tyrion telling jokes? Well, this scene could have okay. been You've two been minutes long. You've been fawning over men. Can I just say something? Masandi's hot. She's looking yeah, so good lately. Dean liked that suit she was wearing. He was really into it. Jesus. He was really into it. She's looking good. Looking good. Yeah, Masandi is very pretty, and she tells a great joke, so there's that. Talk to me about these jokes. Talk to me about this scene. This scene could have been 60 seconds long. Instead, it was like seven minutes and I wanted to commit suicide. Did you time it? No. Okay. It felt like it was 20 minutes. So there's that. Okay. I tried to, to shave some time off my guesstimate. Um, it's adorable. It's cute. Masandi's cute. Grey Worm's cute in the scene. Tyrion's lovely trying to make friends. I like when Tyrion talks about having his own vineyard. That's adorable. What a waste of time for Christ's sake. Right. What a waste of time. Yeah. I mean, I want to be in that room drinking and telling jokes with them. Don't get me wrong, everyone. I certainly don't want to watch it on TV yeah. when I could be seeing other things that matter. Yeah. On the rewatch, it it still felt a bit long to me. And um, I was like, eh, what did you think of him talking about dreaming of his own vineyard someday? I thought that was adorable. And I want to go to that vineyard. I yelled, Tyrion's dead as soon as he said that. You didn't yell that. I did. Don't you remember? I said, Tyrion's dead. I watched this episode too. Oh, yeah. Maybe you just say that. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I drank like seven mimosas yesterday during the Fight Club podcast. I hadn't recovered by Game of Thrones. Oh, exaggerate. Don't worry, Jessica. People think you're cool even if you only drink two. I drank more than two, though. (laughs) All right. So, you know what this reminds me of? Wasted time. Was that a rhetorical question? Sorry. (laughs) This is rhetorical. This reminds me of any android in any science fiction show ever trying to fit in with the fucking crew. Proto, Data. Oh, yeah. You're right. Fuck, you're right. They like, I'm going to go tell jokes. <laughs> I don't know how to laugh. It's like, what the fuck? I don't know. It was boring to me. Didn't love it. I still think Dinklage is great. And uh, that's that. I'm no going wrong. to his vineyard. Don't you worry. The imp's delight. So the siege of Marine takes place. And I like the imagery of the ships rolling in. Grey Worm says, listen, pal, shut your fucking mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. We're not going to go on the beach. Tyrion's like, bring them, bring them on the beach. And I'm like, how about if you go on the beach, you're going to get bombarded by these fucking ships. How about you stay in the cat in the little pyramid thing here? At least Grey Worm knows that he knows more than Tyrion. He's like, you stop, sir. Right. And um, let's talk about Danny's return. Are Danny's you are you yay or nay on this? I'm glad she's back, but I hope she's back to stop the siege. The Greyjoys come, and then she goes to Westeros. We are wasting time, people. We have 15 episodes left of the show. We are wasting time. On a rewatch, this was kind of corny to me. I didn't love it. There's a lot of corny stuff in this episode. and But but this particular scene is corny because, I don't know, I just, 
Grey Worm and Miss Sandy, like they don't, I was hoping that we were going to see something awesome here with these characters that are, I think have potential. Nope. And no fucking, she rolls in the dragon lands on the fucking roof. First of all, I, I think that's silly. I would imagine that these boats are completely at the mercy of dragons. I'm pretty sure we all knew it was a dragon that landed on the roof immediately. I think the only person who didn't know was those unsullied, like chilling in the room. I thought like, it was, let's be honest. Was anybody <laughs> surprised that there was a dragon on the roof? I was really hoping. So you're dumb. I was really hoping. I love you. I was really hoping that she slid down a chimney with a Santa Claus hat on and had presents for everybody, (laughs) but she didn't. And uh, I I imagine that if she's flying back into town and she sees all these boats, what does she say? Drop me off there and then go burn out the boats. I don't know. I kind of feel like, I don't know. I'm getting nitpicky, but I just felt like, oh, here she is. She's in a mission with everybody. We're fucking dragons again. I was hoping, oh, maybe the Greyjoy fleet will arrive in time. Yeah, that would have been cool. Right. That'd be cool. Maybe Grey Worm has to marshal some kind of defense and they have to hold out. And then he it's dies because cool. he's on somebody's dead wall. I don't know, but something more. I wanted more from those two characters that I know are kind of been on the peripheral, but I feel like they have potential and they could probably do more. And no, no, nope. Danny comes back and strolls in like the savior. I, I mean, we only have 15 episodes left. We don't have time to develop Grey Worm and Masande. Yeah, but maybe she shows up and, and helps them out as they're fighting. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But then don't spend five minutes on them telling jokes. Yeah. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. Make up your fucking mind, dude. That's all I'm saying. Right. Anyway, Danny's back. I just, I don't know. I didn't love the way she She's returned. probably pretty pissed at Tyrion right now. You think so? Yeah, like, what the fuck, Tyrion? I left you in charge. You couldn't do that one thing? You couldn't do one thing for me? <laughs> you had one job, Tyrion. You had one fucking job. And now he's drunk. Let's talk about the hound. Let's please. Let's talk about the hound. Only happiness you're going to get from me during this segment. No negativity at all. Zero. This was a nice scene with this band. We learn about this guy, Gatlin or Gatton, whatever the fuck his name is, a famous kisser. And uh, he's doing the old friends being friends game of let's just jam my finger in your ass. Yeah, let, let me show you how to make out and put your finger on someone's butt because mm. that's what normal dudes do. I was just doing this yesterday with some friends. I was like, now you go. No, now you go. I don't want to. All right. Well, this explains a lot about my relationship mm. with Dean. Anyway, it doesn't last long because the hound comes in and straight murders people with his hatchet that is designed for wood chopping, which is always exciting. And uh, he's got some great dialogue as usual. Those are your last words. Fuck you. And then he calls him a cunt and he says, you're shit at dying. Kills him. Uh-huh. And then he travels further. Can we just talk about how every word that comes out of the hound's mouth is the greatest thing that you've ever heard in your life? You can do better about your last words. You're shit at dying. I'm sorry. How is the hound not the greatest character the show has ever seen? He's awesome. If the hound was actually dead and not in this episode, I I don't even know what I'd do. They brought him back in the nick of time because I got to tell you, <laughs> shit. God, I love They would have been in deep, deep trouble. So- he ends up coming upon Beric and Thoros. Very excited about this. This is awesome. I love this. I think this is great. This makes me super happy. The thing I like about this a lot is, is that I was concerned that the Brotherhood Without Banners or Brothers Without Banners, Brotherhood Without Banners fell into disarray. I was concerned for Beric Dondarrion. I'm glad to see him doing well with his one eye and his Thoros of mere friend. And I like it. I like when uh, he's like, what are you doing? He's like chasing them. What are you doing? Hanging them. 
<laughs> and I like their conversation about why. And he's like, oh, yeah, they portrayed us. We're going to kill them. And the hound's like, they killed a friend. He's like, you've got friends? And he says, not anymore. Yeah. Oh, so uh, again, the he's, houndisms are amazing. He's so good. And um, I like when he comes up on, on them and then they say, hanging, where's the punishment in that? We all bloody die. Except you. Except this one here. Right. <laughs> he points back at Barrack, which is brilliant. And he says, and this is telling. There's a time when I would have killed all seven of you to gut these men. And he means it, and it's true. The Hound is still doing violence here, but it's this revenge for something very specific, for somebody who showed him a different way of life. And the fact that he's taking what he's given, hanging two guys when he wanted to slaughter three of them, does tell you something. Because the old Hound would have killed all of them. And I like it. I love that there's growth in the Hound. I love that this near-death experience in his his time with Brother Ray, a.k.a. Ian McShane, has changed him. Yes, I, I like I that. Agree. It's awesome. It's great. I mean, we still see that he's a competent murderer, which is good. And um, he yeah, still he doesn't put much thought into the idea of it. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? Like, well, the guy's still hanging and he's like, oh, I need some new boots. Let me pull these off of your <laughs> squiggling little toes and uh, get myself. I like it. Get my shoes on. Um I love it. I love when, uh, oh, he says, you're getting old, Clegane. And then he says, he's not. And that's when he kicks the fucking thing out. I, was I like, love Damn, that. son. There's a very, very good rapport between Beric Dondarrion and Thoris of Mir and the Hound. Yes. I love it. And I don't know if it's just Rory McCann and he has a good rapport with every single person I he's ever he worked with. I think he's be- just really good. He's so well cast. Because it, it just might be him because he was great in his brief interactions with Sansa. He was great with Arya. He was great in that one fight with Brienne. He's great with these people here. There's just something about him where his chemistry and the way he relates to other actors is incredible. And I like Beric Dondarrion and Thoris Amir, and I'm glad to see them back. And I love them both in this scene. I'm really high on the both of them. But I, I just think Rory McCann might be uh, one of a kind. Like he's incredible. As I'm rereading Game of Thrones right now, and I'm and I'm on the first book. One thing to remember about these brothers without banners is is that. They were essentially created by Ned Stark when he tasked when when after Ned's little incident while while um, while Robert was away hunting, Ned was on the throne and as the hand of the king, he had the power of the king and all these people came forth. If you remember when you watched it, all these people came to him complaining about these men slaughtering their people and they didn't ride with banners and they were trying to hide who they were. But one of the guys was like, no, no, no. Well, the person that killed my family was the mountain. He's too big. He's giant. And then Ned made a decision. He said, all right. He tasked Beric Dondarrion and uh, some others with riding these guys down and fucking bringing them to justice, essentially. He said they're, they've been stripped of land. They've been stripped of title. He made a royal decree. And that's when Beric and his men went after Clegane. And they get in the way they get ranks now is from different armies that have been defeated, guys that have... Uh, deserted guys that have survived massacres like that's that's where they pick up their men from and uh, they say they're without banners because they don't really fly a banner i think in the book they have this multi-stitched ugly like blanket as a banner but um they are obviously stark loyalists because all they do is fight enemies of the north while they're out there fucking prancing around it's not like my kind of people which is cool and uh you know and that's it's cool that you have Barrack and Thoros, these two interesting characters riding around. And now you've got this guy, the Hound, who sits down with them. 
and has this discussion about, holy shit, you got anything to eat? When I was screaming the whole time, please join them. And when he, mm-hmm. and when he sits down and he says, have you got anything to eat? And they say, yes. And I know, great. They're going to have a talk. Like you said, the talk goes great. The chemistry's fabulous. I love this moment because I want so much for him to find a place. And I think there is a sweet type of irony for the hound to have been a Lannister bannerman to now join the brothers without banners, which are Stark loyalists. When the hound has I mean, the done one... so much protecting of the Starks too. Right. It's, it's so fascinating right. that it, it plays out this way. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, it's cool. I, I, it's exciting, man. I like, I like having him in it. One of the things I thought of was, you know, I have been a lot less interested in Arya outside of a few shining moments and I'm not going to blame Maisie Williams. I think she's a great actress, Agreed. but the Hound and Arya show anything like you just said, the Hound elevates everyone and it's true. I agree. He makes yeah, he everything does. fucking better. You, and, and I wondered, oh, what's it going to be like when this character's here or that character is there? And you know, it's weird. When certain characters are on screen, they command our attention. Braun and the Hound. And it's because they there's something about their double middle finger to the Game of Thrones that interests me. They're simple men who have simple desires and, and conduct themselves in such a simple way that it's almost to be admired. They're not mirrored in disgusting politics and they're not mirrored in fucking family loyalty and they're not muddied by all the bullshit that goes on with this border and that border and this king and that king you know and that's one of the things i really like about them it's cool they just keep it simple and uh, go about their lives and that's and they're interesting when they're on screen and, and is it rory mccann the hound yes. is that his name because he, he was in the credits again this week and i was so happy to see his name <laughs> right right it's so good man i just i think i think he elevates every scene he's in and I think every actor that works with him is elevated by him, which is interesting because he's such a simple character. It's hard to play simple effectively and well and keep me interested, and he does. You know, when you have dynamic shit going on like Jamie or whoever, or Jamie did, or, or some of these high-intrigue characters, a lot of the plot assists with that, but this simple man is just so entertaining every time he's on screen. It's great. And something else I love about this is the fact that when was the last time we saw Thor Samir and Beric Dondarrion? Uh, probably... In- Three? I guess. It's been a while. It's been a while. Maybe maybe the resurrection. And I, I like this. This is something I like. We see Thoris of Mir in like previously on Game of Thrones. And we're like, oh, we're seeing them because, you know, Jon Snow's going to get resurrected. And it's this whole thing. And we're like, yeah, it happened. And the whole reason we ever saw Thoris of Mir was to set this precedence for bringing Jon Snow back to life. But it's not that. It's more than that. These characters matter and they, they come back. And I like that. I like that somebody can be gone for seasons, some small innocuous character that you wonder what their point was and they can return. Lancel Lannister, we saw it with him. I mean, he sucks compared, compared to these two, but you know what I mean? Right. I, I like that about the show, that we can bring these people back, that we can have a really long build up to it. I'm looking at the uh, Game of Thrones wiki. And it says, season four, Arya Stark cannot forgive Beric and Thoris for selling Gendry to Melisandre later. During her travels with Sandra, she includes their names and resetting her death list. So two seasons ago. So yeah. for two seasons, nothing. Yep. And then, of course, in season three, it was Clegane killing Beric. Yes. Yeah. Um, in a while. And before we, well, I don't know if we're going to move on from this scene, but there is something that needs to be mentioned. I'm not ready to move on yet. Okay. But go ahead. Do you want to mention something? You saw the hound's penis. Oh, yeah. I know like Andrea Ramos isn't in the chat. I don't think I haven't seen her in there, but I know there are plenty of women who want to, 
you know, we don't get them often, but here one was. Yeah, he pulled out that he pulled out that smoke wagon. Got ready to uh, do whatever whatever he's going to do with it. I don't know. So, so my friend that says that when there's equal nudity, she will watch the show. I'm going to add this penis right to the count. <laughs> this penis looks fake. Everybody said whatever. It was still a penis. Okay. It, yeah, it had a weird uh, it had a weird flop to it for sure. I'm sure Rory McCann is not like, yeah, I'm going to whip my junk out right now to take a piss. It's like the most unsexy thing in the world. It'd be like if only, if we only ever saw female nudity when they were fucking squatting and taking a piss and be like, Oh, it's hot. Oh yeah. So yeah, I don't, it's not a big deal. You don't want to see his peeing penis. It's it is gross. a big deal. If we see a penis, it's a big deal. Okay. All right. All right. Well, all right. Good, bad, young and old. Derek says the things we're fighting for will kill them all. It's not too late for you. And we get a nice reaction shot on the hound. And then right before that, they're talking about, you know, people are always dying for things bigger than them. The hound smells, sniffs to the bottom of that, which I love. But Beric and Thoros want to know why things are going on for a reason here. Why? Why is this going on? And they are really believing in this because they, they're in the north mostly. They, they move around in the north mostly. That they know about the White Walkers. I mean, they're saying these things are going to come kill everyone. All of us. And there's a greater purpose for all of them. And there's a greater purpose for all of them. And, you know, why did the hound win that fight for a reason? And the hound's like, yeah, it's because I'm better than you. But they're <laughs> like, okay, sure, probably. Probably. But you know that they still believe that everything happens for a reason. There's a greater purpose. Yeah. And I think the hound, from his experience with Brother Ray or whatever, is starting to really listen to that and take it in. Maybe right. there is a greater purpose for him. I think you might be right. Oh my God, I fucking love the hound. Let's go to Bravos. All right. I'm not going to be as high on this. All right. So Lady Crane and Cersei, uh, as Cersei, Cersei. excuse me, as Cersei pledges her revenge, uh, she makes the changes that Arya suggested, and um, the people revere and jump for joy and hoot and holler and give her praise. And then backstage, she's sitting down to have a little swig of rum, but then finds Arya, who is in really bad shape. Oh, and it's really Arya. So, so much for all of our theories, and she's actually stabbed. So, holy shit, Arya's dying. If we're to believe that injuries actually are real in Game of Thrones like they are in the real world. This is fuckery. I know. It's fuckery. Unfortunately, I think that this is really poorly done. I agree. <sighs> this was like Walking Dead level. Very upset with it. Yeah, it was a little silly, man. It's too bad that they showed her get slashed across the stomach and stabbed twice. Two deep In her shots. gut, stabbed in the twist. Yeah, and the twist. Let's not forget about Oof. the twist, which means she had to have that knife deep enough to be able to even do that. I'm fucking dying here. I'm fucking dying. So, man, this is bad shit. I think that this was grossly mishandled, uh, and it's too bad. And this is probably my lowest point of the season, is that- Me too. And, I, and it's not an ego thing. It's not because we all guessed wrong. It, it's just, it just was silly, man. Don't- if you're going to have her escape near assassination, don't give her such fucking grievous wounds. And you can't run around with these kinds yeah. of wounds. Yeah, oh, we'll get there. I mean, talk to somebody who just had their fucking appendix out, right? That's that's like a sword wound in your gut. And you're on all kinds of modern medicine and you cannot move. It's fucking crazy. You can barely walk around gripping your IV, walking around in the hospital. Uh, I know, good friend of the show and, and host, Josh had his appendix out when he was in high school. It was crazy. And I remember, I remember him like trying to move around in the fucking hospital. I remember going to visit him. It was crazy, you know? And it's just like that fucking, those wounds, man, 
There's no, you're not messing around. This is, what the fuck? And it's not magic, you know? It's not Lady Crane magic. And I know crazy shit happens. And I know the hound fucking survived, but- Yeah, but he almost died. He almost died. And it was a lengthy time before we saw him again. I mean, I feel like Ari would have been out of commission for so much longer than this. And especially the way they show how out of commission she is. And when she first wakes up from sleeping, how it's painful for her to just sit up. Right. And and listen, I get it. Adrenaline. Adrenaline and you move. Not for that fucking long. Not for that long and not doing the things that she did. I'm sorry. It's not physically possible. She would have fucking passed out from pain and she would have been bleeding a lot sooner than we saw her bleed. I'm not like a, a doctor or a nurse of humans. And, and obviously working with animals is totally different. But but I understand like how fucking wounds work. <laughs> this is not how they work. It's not how they work. Just a basic knowledge of, of human understanding is you know what i'm saying you you have to you have to know like the the adrenaline dump the adrenaline dump that she has here when her life is on the line i think propels her to action and i get that to get up and run and jump the fuck out the window i'm down i feel like that is something that would happen here but dude i don't know man it's a little funky yeah the first jump and starting to run is one thing so do you want to talk about Lady Crane and how she magically knows how to heal wounds because she stabs people and heals her wounds, which again was fucking so aggravating. No, like, I, no, no, no. I don't mind her having some basic medic- medicine skills. I don't mind that Arya goes there and she patches her up and Arya lives. I don't even mind that. Yeah, that's fine. I The, the fucking her running around is bonkers to me. Okay, all right, so let's briefly talk about Lady Crane. Very sweet, very motherly, adorable. She's awesome. Lady Crane's dead, sad. Now let's talk about the shit that we're pissed off about. All right. So, because a Lone Star Kid in the chat has literally like reads my mind. Like he might be like my spirit animal because <laughs> all I've done all day to everybody I know is make jokes and say the waif is like the Terminator and then talk about how then we get to the horror movie trope of then walking slowly. So let's oh go through God. it. Right. Let's go through it because Lone Star Kid, me and you, we are on the same fucking page I think here. Everybody in the room mentioned Terminator. Like when we were sitting there, I'm like, yeah, we're watching it together, and we're like, is is that Arnold? Is I said something like, say that's a nice bike because he, run, yes. he runs with the fucking hands like that, right? <laughs> the fucking hands up. Come and with down. me if you want to live. Come with me if you want to live. All right, here's the problem with the chase, and I'm going to go through it. And um, oh, and I will chime in if you let me. You I got shit to say. Chime in as much as you want. All right. Just don't interrupt me. I just fuck. don't want you to beat me later. <laughs> You're getting beat no matter what. So, you know, figure it out. Sorry. All right. So Arya starts to engage in some hardcore parkour, right? She's like these French dudes bouncing off walls like fucking Jackie Chan. She runs outside. And now here's the problem with the chase. Here's, here's part of the problem with the chase. There's so many fucking rounds of chase. I'm going to give you a brief overview and then we're going to tackle each of them. Okay, let's do it. Ready? Round one of a chase happens where she goes into the Russian bathhouse and gets a break. Round two of the chafe chase is when she's walking, the wave jumps off the wall, the chase resumes, Arya tumbles down some stairs, she's down, it's a break, it's short. Round three of the chase, Arya stumbles away, and that's when the wave goes into fucking Mike Myers slow walk mode. Yo, don't, that is my worst fucking favorite shit. Round four is the showdown. So the chase is so fucking long, and it has these various breaks in it, and I don't understand why the waif's dogged pursuit of Arya drops down. I know. So let's start with the first part. So Arya slips away. She gets into the Russian bathhouse to get her schwitz on. I, I did write in my notes, Arya wakes up seven days later. I know somebody in the chat said maybe she slept for two weeks. I was joking when I said she wakes up seven days later, but based on her ability to run, maybe it was seven days later. Right. Maybe that was appropriate. Yeah, maybe. 
Um, so after this, after this thing where Lady Crane dies, the wave confronts her, talks some shit. Arya takes off. Arya runs into this Russian bathhouse. I think for jumping myself. off a second story balcony. That's fine. Okay, fine. I'm going to give her adrenaline. the benefit. I'm giving Me her too. the adrenaline dump. I'll give her this one. I'm giving her the adrenaline dump here. She gets into this Russian bathhouse. I'm thinking, ooh, it's going to be really steamy and misty in here, right? It's going to be great. She's going to have the fucking sword in here, and she's going to use the fact that you can't see well in here and ambush this bitch right in this Russian bathhouse, and that's going to be the end of the wave. That's how that was going to happen, too. And then she's going to collapse because she's fucked. Because her stomach is re-ripped open. It's not healed yet. Because those are my notes. Okay, adrenaline. But the wounds are going to open up again, right? Right, right. Could have been. So round two happens. And this is the wave is chasing her like the Terminator. Right. Like, so like the Terminator. She's from the future. She has come back. She's going to make shit happen. Now, before we talk about round two, uh, in the chat, it was brought up and I missed it. But I did quickly see somebody say, maybe she was healing for a while. Then yeah, you I need, then you need, too. But you need to convey it. Yeah, I agree. You know, when she wakes up, she needs to go through a couple of fever wake-ups, and then you go, here's why I don't think that's the case. For one, they don't convey it. And two, Waif is a competent enough assassin to not take that long to find her. Yeah, she came to the house and killed Lady Crane. Why wouldn't she have done that on day one? Like, why would she wait seven days? Did she have other shit to do, other exactly. people to kill? Once, Does she have other Arias in her life? Once she stabbed Arya, I think she was on Arya's trail and was able to find her. That's why I think it was only a few days that Arya was able to hide among the actors. Right, I think mm-hmm. I think the waif has been following her. I think the waif knows some of her patterns. I, that's what I believe. Okay, say that isn't the case. Fine, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. The waif lost her for a few weeks, so she could fucking a few heal. weeks. Let's just fine. say for fine. Fun. I'll suspend my disbelief, but I'm mad about it. But now you have the issue of not addressing the time change. You have to fucking say you got to show a couple of, like they did with Ned Stark. We saw him, we see him drifting in and out of consciousness because of his leg. We need oh, to yeah. do that. And we need to hear Lady Crane say something like, child, you've been you've here. You've been asleep you've for been, a month. You've been here for two weeks. You know, you, you, you need to eat. You need to keep eating. You've, you, something. Yeah, so she hasn't eaten for three weeks because she's been unconscious due to her wounds? No. But, no, but my point is, is that that's what they need to do. They need to convey that time has passed by way of showing dialogue or some kind of transitory shooting that makes me go, okay, time has been passing. It's been a while. Like, oh, she checks on Arya's wound. It's really nasty. She checks on Arya's wound. We it's get a close-up. It's a little better. Okay, time is passing. That's what I see here. But if you don't do that, then my assumption is that she's only been here for a couple of days. Plus, you got the issue of how does the wave not track her down in a couple of weeks, right? So it's bad. It's fuckery, dude. This is bad writing. It's bad writing. Someone two. in the chat did mention that her wounds do open up, but they do, but not for a fucking while. She slides under a cart. She goes into the bathhouse. She does a ton of shit. It's not until she falls down the stairs that she bleeds again, which if, seems unrealistic. If her wounds didn't open up, it would have been worse fuckery. So I agree. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt here. Now, round two of the chase, we see Arya walking around, holding her gut. The wave is running along the wall, which I thought was a really cool effect. And then she jumps down and resumes the chase. I was kind of hoping she'd just jump on Arya, but I guess she was too far from the wall. Fun. And I guess she was like, let's do this fun chasing thing some more because horror movie trope, horror movie trope. No, not yet. Not yet. Because she loses Arya and then right. she spots her from the wall. So the wave gets up on the wall so she can see through the crowd and she spots Arya and then starts fucking running along the wall. Right. Because that's what she wants to do, right? She doesn't want Arya to get away. So what does she do? She chases her. She uses her running. That's what you do when you want to catch somebody, right? You run after them. And that's what she does. Yeah, that's what you do when you want to catch somebody and murder them. You're right, Dean. You run run after after them them. until you catch them. Yes. So she jumps off the wall. Arya tumbles down the stairs. Real bad fall. This is great stunt work, by the way, by whoever. 
She's down. We get a break. It's short. We see the oranges spill everywhere. All the people are pissed off. And then at the top of the stairs, we see the wave standing there menacing. And then Arya stumbles away, falls down this other thing. And that's when the wave just starts walking after her. Now, I'm going to give wave a little benefit of the doubt here. Oh, you are? A little Because I'm bit. not. Because so go. once you get into a situation when you're in corridors with random doorways, with random who could be around the corner, the wave's not going to carelessly run through the fucking corridors. She's not. She no. carelessly ran through everything else in her life. But she had a bead on Arya. Once she loses sight of Arya, I can understand not wanting to run into a sword. Okay, how about this? When she sees Arya and she's up on top of that why wall and Arya's down. down, why doesn't she fucking jump and run instead of standing there and then walking slowly? This is the worst horror movie trope of all time. I hate this more than I hate anything. Like Jason and Friday the 13th. Like any horror movie ever. Like fucking Scream. All of them. All of them. Yeah, but here's the The murderer deal. always fucking walks. God damn it, run. You can because obviously run fast. You're a Terminator. Jesus Christ. <gasps> they do this because they want to menace the fucking people they murder in horror movies. Mike Myers wants you to be terrified as he walks after you. That's this the fucking point. Bitch doesn't care. I She's know, supposed to kill a but bitch. You're, but you're but you're saying but you're trying to attribute the reasons in a horror movie. <laughs> it just doesn't work. I'm just saying it's the same thing as that stupid trope, and I hate it. Freddy Krueger walks down the alleyway and drags his fucking knife hands on the wall because he wants to scare you. He doesn't want to simply kill you. He's not an assassin. The waif's a fucking assassin. She I should be just trying it. to kill Arya as soon as possible. I just right? hate everything about that. Yeah. Anyway, it's the worst. Anyway. Oh, now Arya's bleeding a little. Oh, boy. Her grievous so, wounds just barely get opened up after she's Jessica might weeks. have an aneurysm. I agree, chat room. She's got to fucking rein it, rein it in a little here. Listen, I said that I was mad about this, and I am mad, and I am going to stick to my guns here. You are so mad. All right, so round four is the showdown. This I am fine with. I'm fine with the showdown. Love it. I actually, I actually love this. If we had cut out... All of this in-between bullshit. Actually, literally all of it. The whole stuff with Lady Crane, everything. What should have happened is when Ari got needle, she should have sat in that tunnel until the wave came to her like we thought was going to happen mm-hmm. and killed her in the dark. That's what should have happened. Instead, we got all this in-between bullshit that made no sense and was terrible writing. Yeah. This one scene, great. The people who are like, it makes no sense. The wave never beat. Arya never beat the wave no matter what. No, but the wave could always see. And plenty of times Arya couldn't. I believe this. I am totally fine with this last scene in the dark. I love it, actually. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it's cool. I like when Wave shuts the door, you know she's fucked. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, all right, the candle's going out and it goes out and that's it. That's how they end the episode. I think that's kind of cool. Better than the Blackfish. That's not how they end the episode. I mean, that's how they end Bravos. No, no, it's not how they end Bravos either. (laughs) I'm a fucking moron. What am I doing? Um, Thank God I'm here to. Yeah, we need to talk about that fucking whole scene too. Okay, it makes me wonder about the whole goddamn faceless assassin thing. It makes me angry just like the rest of us. Some of the chats implying maybe they're trying, maybe, maybe Waif is trying to menace Arya because it's personal. Sure, maybe she is. And I can forgive one of the following egregious errors in writing, <laughs> but I can't forgive them all, chat room. I just can't forgive I, them all. I, I agree. With I'm you. a kind and loving person, but can't I can only be so kind. Okay. I can only be so kind. Go ahead. That's all. I okay. Say. So, what are the egregious problems? Let's see. Try to stay calm. Arya manages to get to the actress and stay in her house, where the actress manages to know fucking surgical skills to help with grievous wounds where she's then able to sleep for one day to three weeks. We don't know which because the writing doesn't tell us and heal enough that she can then jump off a second story balcony, run to a bathhouse, take a short break, run again, jump off another balcony, 
fall downstairs, roll on her fucking belly, walk down a hallway, and then kill the wave from the dark. And then kill the wave in the dark. Gotcha. <gasps> All right. Let us mercifully I'm, move away I'm from this. I'm so angry. I fucking throw you out the window. <laughs> Thank God. Let's just get, let's be honest, guys. I do not want to see Arya again until fucking season seven. And when I see her again, she better be in fucking Westeros. Yeah. Excuse uh, my language. In the chat, Lone Star says, I do like that the wave made Arya fight blind and now he, she's going to use it to kill. I think that's great. Yeah, that's good irony. You're right. There were some good things surrounded by a year of terrible bullshit in Bravos. Goodbye, good riddance. Okay, well, let's talk about never that. See Let's you talk again. about Jockin's handling of Arya. Let's talk let's. about the waif, her face now making it into the faceatorium. Let's talk about this. Let's. What do you think? Talk to me about Bravos. Talk to me about Arya's arc. Talk to me about the journey. Give me your thoughts. I'm sure you spent many hours Great. thinking about this. I did. I, I really did. All Here's right. what I have to say. I just spent how long? Two years, a year and a half of my life watching Ariane Bravos so that she could what? Learn to be a blind assassin, but not really. I spent all this time with Ariane Bravos so that she could come to the conclusion that she's Arya Stark and wants to go home. Well, I thought we had that conclusion when she was with the Hound and wanted to kill a bunch of people. Now she still wants to kill people. She's going back there and I wasted all this time in my life of Arya doing bullshit I didn't care about. What, do you, what were you hoping for? That she never went to Bravos. Okay, but once she got there, were you like, all right, the storyline's junk forever? No. Or, or, or did you get hope once in a while? Every once in a like, while. Like, in other words, tell me, give me something more than how much you hate it. Okay. When we got to Bravos, I'm challenging you. I was I hope like, you don't mind. Yay. I like Jock and Hagar, and I'm excited to see him again. But then I realized he wasn't Jock and Hagar. He was just a faceless man. I was like, oh, less interested. And I was like, I hope we reunite her with Cyril Florell. That would be really cool. Didn't happen. Really thought it was going to happen tonight. It didn't. Kind of disappointed, but whatever. This is what I kept thinking was going to happen. That Arya was going to be doing this shit with the faceless men. And then she was going to wake up one day and realize, I will never be no one. I need to go back to Westeros. Which is exactly what happened. That could have happened in three episodes. Not two fucking seasons. This was a waste of time. It was a waste of a good actress. It was a waste of a plot. It, it was like when Danny went in that fucking horror house that she went in for a couple episodes like who the fuck cares it was two episodes what were the shining moments of bravos what was the good stuff i like when she killed away from the dark yes i like i don't know i oh i like when she killed uh fucking that guy that i can't stand marin trant that was great too okay i appreciated her killing him but that should have been it if we were gonna spend a ton of time in bravos she kills marin trant and then she's like i'm not knowing i'm Arya stark gotta go right that seem fair here's what i'll say about Arya stark Arya Stark, we know that Arya Stark has been an independent, free-thinking individual who really wasn't down with what was laid out before her by her father. She didn't want any of this. She didn't want to be this lady who had kids that were knights. That's not what Arya wanted. That was not in her quote-unquote fate. Her family dies. She has no place to go. This guy, Jack and Hagar, gets her out of fucking Harren Hall and gives her this coin that eventually gets her to Bravos after the shit that happens with her and the Hound. So she goes to Bravos, and we're excited. We're excited for a reunion between her and Jack and Hagar. And there is one. And I didn't. And what I didn't anticipate was that the faceless men were going to be so almost religious in their approach to handling their profession. There's a few things that I don't quite understand, and that's this: every faceless assassin is a person, right? Is a human being. And the idea is to get rid of your identity, right? So you can be a murderer. Like, 
I don't understand their entire fucking, their philosophy is so elusive to me. I can't even begin to wrap my head around what it means. Because are we to believe that these people deprogram their own identity so that they can then become something that is nothing? Like a girl has no name. I have no name. The mini face God has no name. You have no name. You have no, like they're, when you're talking about, it's not just name for name, it's identity. They're trying to say you have no fucking identity. For the purpose of what? To be assassins for the people who pay? Who, by the way, you'd think with people who can wear other people's faces that they would fetch a very high cost, but apparently they don't because the fucking actress tried to get Lady Crane killed, which is weird to me. And I'm wondering if Lady Crane, oh, she is dead. Yeah, I was just say. So, she, so she's a <laughs> mission success. But I think that, I don't know, there's something, there's something too robotic and android about the faceless men for me to be super intrigued by them. And I almost feel like the faceless men would have been left better. Un- Some mysteries are better left uncovered. And I think the aura of the faceless men is way more intriguing to me when I know nothing about Agreed. them than it is now. I Agreed. find them so much less intriguing. I just think there are a bunch of weirdo zealots who dump their identities and they recruit these poor people, as they said. Yeah. And they just assassinate Charge money people. to kill people. Right. Which, Probably not even a lot. And then... Bad uh, writing. And then... And then Arya, and then Arya gets involved with this, and I think, okay, she's going to get the skills that she needs to to survive. Arguably, she got quite a few skills that she needs to survive. But her arc essentially is: I'm Arya Stark to get revenge for the people. So her, her her very premise of revenge is tainted by the fact that that comes from identity, right? Right. If you have no identity, or in this case, no ego, revenge is irrelevant. You don't care about revenge. You, you don't care about justice. And that's one of the things Jockin says. He says. Do the do only the unjust deserve death, or do only the just deserve death? Like so, it all that shit doesn't matter. All they are is pay the price, we'll kill the person, and that's it. So Arya tries to learn these skills so she can get revenge, which already is a which word I'm looking for a contradiction to the whole idea of the faceless men. And then we think that she's going to lose her identity, but deep down we know she never is because Arya buries Needle, and we know Needle's never coming out. And then it ends up being this fucking thing where. She's always Arya Stark, always has been Arya Stark, learned some shit along the way. That's it. So, I mean, it's not terrible. There's some things I liked about Bravo, but overall it was kind of disappointing. And now you have this scene where him and where, where she talks to Jockin. And was it you or did Jockin seem like kind of happy that she lived? Yeah, he did. Which means he's a fucking person no, with some which, feelings. Which means that this is all just bad writing to me. Like it it's so contradictory. To, I, I just why though? I don't know. He sent somebody to kill Arya and he was happy she didn't die and that she's not going to be a faceless man and that she's going to go back to Westeros and do everything against what he believes in. I just yeah, because, because he's a fucking person. I think the point is, is that try as they might, we've known how many faceless assassins? Three. So try as me white, try, try as we may. We've seen three faceless assassins. One, Jack and Hagar, who took a liking to Arya back in Westeros. Two, the waif who has an ax to grind. That's two different personalities I'm seeing. And then three, Arya. We've seen What about Sarah Florell? Isn't he a faceless no, man? That, no. All let's right, not whatever. get pulled off into that. Okay, fine. So here are the three faceless people we've seen. They all have their own individual personality. And I guess my point is, is that try as they might, they can't totally eradicate their egos and be just functions of the faceless God. And I guess that was the whole point of it and the whole demystifying of them. And I guess that's, I guess that's what I'm feeling. I guess that's how it's going. And then I think he smiles. I think 
I think he had to follow his code by saying, I got a dispatcher to go. And then when she lived and paid the face to the, to the face of Torium, I think, face I think Jockin was kind of happy because I think he's always been fond of Arya for whatever reason that is. Sure. So he's a real person. And I think they all are. I don't know. I don't uh, know. I'm just fucking so glad it's over. Thank God. Never again. Oh, thank God. All right. Game over. Crossing that right off my fucking list. Goodbye. Goodbye. So um, I don't think we have any more place to go, do we? We got no more places to go. All right. We are going to, uh, we're going to queue up some music for the listener comments, and then we're going to wrap with our final thoughts after that. All right. So let's talk listener comments. Jessica, I got a couple I might want to read this week. What do you have? I got one and it actually wasn't even commented on the comment thread, but it's by somebody who likes to do things his own way. So we won't judge. I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel. All right, let me He's read. Let me go first because I'm because right. I'm going to read one after this. I would like to read a Sam Spade's comment. <clears throat> Sam said, "Man, look, I'm not the GOT complainer type. I think sometimes some things are executed better than others, but I accept the changes and shortfalls given the real complexity of the story, budget, and all of the other. But I admit to being perplexed this week. We go to see Hound Voorheesing these guys, hmm. nice, but the Blackfish and the Waif die off camera." The BF Blackfish, this tough-as-shit old dude, dies ignominious death off-screen. And we had all this build-up with Ari and the Waif, including this chick turning into the Gorom Terminator, only to be allowed to see that chick get it. By the way, I like his use of Gorom. That's fucking very Firefly. He then says, In this whole thing with a punk-ass soldier suddenly pulling rank on the Blackfish when Edmer comes to the drawbridge, didn't this motherfucker see Freys with a noose and a knife around his lord's neck earlier? I didn't hate it. I never hate anything Game of Thrones. I just think they sacrifice some payoffs for I'm guessing something else that is more worth the time. I don't know. But the Hound could have killed those random dudes off screen so we could at least see Arya go Lagertha on that chick. Boom. Thank you, Mr. Sam Spade. Good comment. I like it a lot. I think he's speaking... Uh, I, think he's, I think a lot of people would agree with what he's saying. Jessica? My comment is from Keith Spinell. There you go. Who likes to troll me on Facebook often, but I agree with everything he has to say here. Go for it. This episode was one of the worst in a while. I think it might actually be the wor- worst than the fuck Dorn episode that led <laughs> off the season. <laughs> Let's look at what we have. With no magic or trickery, Arya's dead. Sorry, but she is. The waif intended to make her suffer and not die immediately, but she was meant to die from those wounds. Her belly was cut open and she was stabbed two to three times in the abdomen. She's going to bleed out. Next, even if she managed to survive, the chase would never have happened. She would try to run, then pass out from loss of blood shortly after. I do appreciate her plan to fight back in the dark, but she never would have made it there. Next, apparently becoming no one doesn't mean at all what we've been led to believe it does. It just, it might just mean capable assassin, question mark. I don't get it. I know some of the book stuff is getting cut for the show, but the faceless men always seem to have a plan. Arya just leaving doesn't really seem to be part of any plan, yet Jockin seems happy to let her do it. Scenes of Marine are almost always garbage. (laughs) 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 I would be just as happy if Danny died at this point and Tyrion teleported to Westeros. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry. King's Landing was fine, but we get the distinct feeling that the only character that matters here is Cersei. Riverlands? Cool off-camera death for the Blackfish, but I guess it's better than what happened to Selmy, where the greatest living knight just went down like a bitch. Mm-hmm. Jamie, what the fuck are they doing with Jamie? They've been having him waffle for a while now. 
about which way he's going to go. Um, I don't in the book, the river lands is where he decides what type of man he's going to be. That's not really spoilerish. I thought no. when Ed Mayer confronts him about being a shitty person and noticing that the only person who takes his word seriously is Brienne, he might come around. Nope. Double down on loving Cersei and threaten to kill more children to get your way. The hound is money as usual. And then something kind of spoilery from the book. So I'm just not going to say it. Gotcha. Although non-book readers won't get it. Good post um, by Keith. Good stuff. I agree with pretty much everything he said, except just kill Danny now. <laughs> we got an email. Yeah, we got an email. Jordan from Alaska writes, after tonight's episode, I asked my buddy if he thought that this is the last time we see Jockin. He said, I think his storyline is done. Then I thought about it for a second. Is And this is a great observation. Is Jockin the first character that we get to know that has their storyline finish up when they're alive? Question mark. He needs a new potty one learner. <laughs> I like that a lot. Good stuff. Good stuff from Mr. Jordan from Alaska. Um, I also need to, I need to, I need to cut into a, a few of these here. A um, couple things. Mike Hilger, he starts off by saying, I hate to do this, but I have to be critical tonight's episode. I'm immediately going to qualify the same by saying that even a disappointing episode of game is better than almost any other show's best episode. I think the resolution of Arya's story is weak. Considering we've given it two seasons to develop, it feels like we got a little payoff. I was all in on the Ari as Jock and Double Cross, so to see that it was Ari who was stabbed confuses me. Not a doctor, but to get a few gut stabs one day and then sprint around town the next seems impossible. I'm thankful we are leaving the house of black and white, but feel like we got little closure as to how the faceless men operate, and Arya only learned a few skills that might not even be that helpful. Good shit. Of course, I have to hop over to uh, Marcos Pierrios. He says, relieved I wasn't the only one who hated this up. The writing of Arya is dog shit. Worst writing in GOT I've ever seen. It's becoming more and more obvious that they have no book material. I believe that is Lone Star in the chat. There is no more thoroughly developed plots or characters. Everything is just getting rushed for an obviously forced finish. Um, in it, in Andrea Ramos, I feel as though someone has thrown ice cold water on my rock hard theories. <laughs> the wave theories, small and soft. The Clagane Bowl, limp and flaccid. <laughs> Not my favorite episode, but, but below are some standout points. Varus skedaddles just in time. Is this purely coincidence or was he abandoning ship? I do not underestimate his sneakiness. Cersei just got scammed like a Nigerian lottery winner. Little Tom Tom just pulled some catfish style trickery on his mama-san. There'll be no trial by combat, but I'm confident the Han will make his way to fuck up the mountain somehow. Just too many things pointing in that direction. She also says, Jamie gives Brienne an air high five. I was worried there because for a minute, Jamie's old sister fucking child maiming ways were peeking their way through his crazy ass was showing. His crazy was showing, excuse me. I thought he might be a real bitch and betray his summer love, Big Bree, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm glad he just gave her his, that will do. <laughs> that will do pig wave and let her go on her way. And this is going to be the, you're going to die. No, it's like Greece. Gonna, I just pictured yes, him saying yeah. fucking summer loving. I'm dying right now. I can't. Some love. <laughs> I obviously, as you can tell, I did not read this comment before it came on air. This is totally fucking new to me. Here's the best part of her, her comment. And, uh, and I'll stop here. It gets better. Oh, this is the best. Aria dumps Jockin. Jockin's like that guy you date for summer because he's super deep. <laughs> Doesn't wear shoes. 
<laughs> and, and knows a lot about world issues. He's right. That's like a fucking the beatnik at college who walks around with a fucking acoustic guitar. He has your no day shoes. Write the fucking song about oh you. Oh my You're god! Like, so romantic. I fucking hate those guys. Guy ever knew? Oh, I hate those guys. I had I was like that guy for one year. Anyway, and then. One day you're like, this guy smells bad and I'm only the one paying the bills, essentially is what she's saying. <laughs> I, I think you might live in a homeless encampment. <laughs> I'm glad that... <laughs> this comment's so good. This is the comment of the year. I have Arya... to read shit before no, 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 no. Read listen, it on air. I'm listen, dying. listen, listen. <laughs> she says, I'm glad, I'm glad Arya killed Jodie Foster. <laughs> Oh, oh all right. Good enough. Good yeah. enough. Enough comments for the week. That was fucking funny, man. Oh my god, Andre Ramos is fucking spot on with this shit. I like. I could only dream to be as funny as her. Honest to God, she's a hot shit. She's a hot shit. Oh, I'm like sweat. I literally was crying. I was <laughs> laughing so hard. I did not read that comment before Dean started reading it. I had not read it. I read the first couple of comments on the page, and I read Keith's post, and that was it. And then I stayed away. Yep. Literally, I was crying. Yeah. Um. And and one quick note: Tony Piccolo doesn't think he's going to get anybody in his Deadpool since Lancel escaped death. <laughs> I feel you, Tony Piccolo. Um, uh, because I am in the fucking same boat. Yeah. My Deadpool, unless we blow up all of King's Landing, because if we do, my life is good. I got both the Tyrells and I got Lancel. That's three dead. We know Jorah's not going to die. And we know that fucking Ilaria Sand doesn't even exist anymore. So mm. fucking forget the two of them. I got to double down on the explosion of King's Landing. That's all I care about. Yeah, I hear you. So I guess we're doing our final thoughts. Anything else you want to say? Um, No, I think that that's my... I think I made it pretty clear how I feel about everything. Um, I think that I'm glad we'll never see Bravos again, hopefully. And... Since... Uh, with with Arya's belly fuckery, what's the what's the last fuckery that you remember that was this annoying in this TV show? Oh, on Game is, of Thrones. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Has there ever been fuckery? Ilaria Sands fucking new haircut and new <laughs> hatred. <laughs> yeah, Ilaria Sand totally turned into a different character. It was pretty annoying. I mean, on a show where there was no precedent, bringing Jon Snow back to life would be a little silly, or the Hound like dying off camera but still being alive would be silly. Like if tomorrow Stannis was still alive, it'd be like, oh, all right, like this is getting a little crazy, right? But for the most part, I think Game of Thrones really, you know, I don't know, I, and I wonder if this is a problem because I read an article that said like now that they're moving away from the books, the writers are fucking floundering, and I hope that that's not the problem. Mm, we'll see. I don't want. I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not ready to do that just yet. I'm just saying. Somebody said that. It is a little nerve wracking. Well, all right. Um, I think that's all we have. Next week we will be covering episode nine. Only two left, and then the season bastard six bowl. will be done. Yeah, the bastard bowl. Next week, guys, let's just put it in writing. Now we are going to see nobody but Jon Snow, Sansa, and whoever's fighting on their side, and whoever's fighting on the Bolton side. We are not going to see anything else. This is going to be like Watchers on the Wall. You think so? Yep. Hundred wow. percent. That's impressive. I think we're going to get another episode just like that, which is crazy. Why does Jon Snow get all these epic full episode battles? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I put money on it. I really think that this is going to be Watchers at the Wall Part Two. Awesome. Except we're going to kill Ramsay. Awesome. All right. What we are going to do now is is we are going to sign off and bid you good people to do. But before we do, no Deadpool. I just want to say that I know no Deadpool. Nobody update. died. Sorry, guy. Well, people died, but nobody cared about those people. So yeah. I do want to say this. One thing I am going to do, just because the comment was so fucking good and funny, 
I actually am going to put Andrea's comment in the show notes. So if you want to read it, it'll be there. <laughs> like if you want to read it in your podcasting app, it'll be there. Andrea's famous right now. As long as she doesn't mind me doing that, I'm sort of reposting her intellectual property in a sense. So. I think in the chat she wrote that she made that comment while she was rocking her child to sleep. So nice. The mind of, a, of a mother. Like a- All right. I think um, uh, anything else? Are we done? Are we I out? I think that we have done it. All right. We will see you guys next week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for checking out LSG Media's coverage of A Game of Thrones. Make sure you check us out on the web at libertystreetgeek.net. That's libertystreetgeek.net, where you can see other shows we have like The Walking Dead and the Science Fiction Film Podcast. All right, folks, we will catch you next week. Have a good one. Have a good one.